Welcome to the crap and the crazy with Tash Critter. Tash owns Little Wooden Toy Box and is mother of two teens, both with autism, ADHD and PDA. Ten years in early intervention, working with the kids' OTs, speeches and psychologists has given Tash unique insight into understanding difficult behaviours and why they occur, as well as understanding how emotional regulation and sensory input impacts us and our behaviour. This insight has helped Tash design and implement resources and coping strategies to make home life calmer and more organised. Join Tash as she talks about day-to-day -day life with autism, the sucky bits and the wins, plus tips for enjoying life despite the challenges. Hello. In episode 5, I want to cover meltdowns, so how they look as well as some strategies that we can use as parents to either help manage it or help our kid through it, yeah? And really understanding the difference between tantrums and meltdowns. So that's, that's quite difficult um, in the very beginning stages because it's very age appropriate for our young ones, so the two, three-year-old age group, to have tantrums because they are learning about their world, they're learning about relationships, they're learning about boundaries, they're learning about how they can manipulate and get what they want, um, which is all like really good life skills, yeah? So as parents, we want to help shape our kids as far as rewarding the good behaviors and ignoring or distracting when we see those bad behaviors or red choices. Uh, but when it comes to meltdown, so a tantrum is a controlled behavior to get a result, yeah? Doesn't mean to say that it can't end in a meltdown. That's when you just get so out of control emotionally and with sensory input, which is when we see a meltdown, yeah? So a meltdown, the person has actually lost control. They are completely overwhelmed, both emotionally or and or uh, sensory overwhelm. So whether they are in a loud place and they can't block out the noise or the lights are too bright or their clothing's too tight or it seems like there's a, a million different reasons for the sensory side of things. So we do cover this in our emotional regulation and sensory profiles training where we actually teach you and walk you through building your own sensory profile so you can build that empathy and understanding for someone else that is struggling. Yeah, you may not feel the same or be experiencing the same things, but understanding that, you know, you in the shopping center or in the classroom or, you know, a busy place, you may be able to cope, but understanding how that can feel for someone else. And for someone else, they can be very real, valid reasons for having a full meltdown. Yeah. So to give you some strategies, and I guess as parents, um, when our kids, especially when we don't understand meltdowns, our first response is to try and talk our kids through it or distract them or, you know, um, all these strategies that kind of you, you just try because you don't know what you're doing anyway. But all of these, when you begin to understand autism and that sensory processing disorder or, you know, sensory processing difficulties, when you're talking and even if it's just normal talking, let alone yelling or speeding up your voice, all this is adding to their sensory overwhelm and actually making it worse for them, yeah? And someone in that state, so this isn't a tantrum, but this is once we've hit that meltdown state, they can't think logically or reason. So when you're trying to talk it through, 
you're just wasting your breath and actually making it worse for them. So I think that's that's really important. And look, that took years for me to understand um, because you your first go-to things are trying to distract them, trying to make it better. But I guess understanding that once we hit that meltdown point, you really can't... Look, there's things that you can do and we will go through that, but sometimes you just can't fix it. You have to see it through. And when you are, like, whether you're a parent or in a um, care role for someone who often does have meltdowns, to be okay with that. And we see this a lot and the, you know, the guilt that comes with it, especially carers who um, are looking after a kid and then for whatever reason, help cause a meltdown. And look, this can be looking at the kid the wrong way or touching the drink bottle the wrong way or again, a million reasons. Um, and it depends how the kid is coping. It depends on their week. It depends on their day. There's certain triggers that will set off some kids all of the time. There's some things that, you know, if they're having a good day, it, it may, may be okay. And as a carer, you're getting this kid who, you know, you've kind of got a general idea of ASD, autism, and you may know a couple of kids with autism. So you have some idea of what to expect, but you don't get the full rule bit, rule book on this kid or your own kid for that matter. And being okay with being the one that causes a meltdown, um, you know, that's just part of the life that we live. And look, parents will understand that as well. And even us as parents, we, I guess it takes years to figure out what's setting your kid off, especially when, you know, during those early development years, they are changing so much as any kid at that age is. And you know, where we're learning what sets them off, we're learning about sensory profiles, sensory processing, and this is if you've got a good speechy and OT that actually understand sensory, prof um, sensory profiles. So yeah, I just wanted to encourage you parents and carers to, to be okay with causing the meltdowns and being okay with, you know, whoops, did that wrong, we'll, we'll try to not do that again next time. And I'm not saying like when you've deliberately done something to upset your kid. I mean, just the, the everyday things that you do where you're trying your best and look, you're probably sleep deprived as well and your kid's sleep deprived and all those issues that come with autism. And you know, there's, there's going to be days where you bowls it up and there's going to be days where they're more sensitive and yeah, so just, just being okay with that, it, it sucks. And look, there's not really anything you can do about it. A lot of our meltdowns, I've said in earlier episodes, so the the four, probably three, or maybe it was never good, up until about five. So the meltdowns would last for three hours and they would stop for 20 minutes and I probably touched something the wrong way and went for another three hours. Now, when you're living like that, you're just treading on eggshells. It's like he was my little volcano, that boy. And then as he got older, it got to the point where I knew what was going to set him off. So he, we enrolled him for school one week, one week before school started because I just didn't think he was ready. And then we thought, well, look, maybe the routine and being around other kids would help. And so we did. We enrolled him one week before school. And then that was learning all the different things at school that sets him off and, you know, uh, learning to 
process, I guess it was, as far as other people looking at him and thinking that he was fine, he's doing fine, but as soon as he stepped out the door, it would just be all over for the next three hours. Um, the screaming, the not coping, and it took me a while to realize that that was going to happen no matter what I did. Yeah, so I could put all these strategies in place to try and keep him calm and regulated after school, but that volcano was going to blow. Yeah, and look, I figured it might as well blow at 3.30 as, you know, 6.30. Yeah, so we could tread on eggshells till 6.30 trying not to blow up the volcano, or I could push a little bit and blow up the volcano at 3.30 and then do the whole calm down process and we could actually get on with our lives for a few extra hours each night. Does that make sense? This may sound completely horrible to parents who don't deal with this every day, but you know, that was a part of a strategy that worked for us with one kid. Yeah. So that was my boy. Didn't work for my girl. I'm going to talk about my girl more in the next episode because her meltdowns weren't loud screaming ones. She would actually shut down. So she would turn into a tin soldier and pretty well all over. No discussion, nothing. Um, so my boy, just as far as some things that would set him off, I remember very clearly, he was about four years old. We had an amazing therapist in Joondala, which was what, on a good day, 45 minute drive to get to her. She was worth it. <laughs> but one day someone had the audacity to cut the trees on the side of the freeway. And unfortunately, like 10 minutes into the trip and my boy was absolutely traumatized by the trees being cut because it was change. So change is a big one for him. So if something changes, if something is unexpected, we go from zero to lost the plot very, very quickly. Oh, it's not so bad now, but you know, back in the day. So yeah, he screamed, screamed the whole way with like to the point of throwing up, he would scream. And that was a standard meltdown for him. And yeah, yeah, because someone cut the trees. So that for him was a change. He must have, you know, I don't know, liked looking at the trees on the way and he must have always done that every drive that we did from our place to Joondala. And yeah, this particular time the trees looked different and that was enough to set him off. Um, we've so Look, there's that many stories. I've, I've waited for the police to be called with the screaming that goes on because I'm sure you can hear it down the street. Unfortunately, it never happened. I mean, fortunately, sorry, fortunately, the police never came or the neighbors never dogged us in. Another one was the garage. The garage door had to close a certain way at a certain time and we weren't allowed to drive away until the garage had closed. Yeah, that was annoying. Um, and then, you know, with ASD, they don't like change. So you do one thing a certain way one day, that's it for life. That's the way you're supposed to do it every single day moving forwards. So this took me a while to figure out. I was going to say before as well, when your kid is screaming for three hours, stopping for 20 minutes, screaming for the next three, it kind of just becomes a big bowl of everything you're doing the wrong way. So it's very hard to pinpoint what is actually setting them off at that stage. Does that make sense? Okay, I could keep going with stories. I could go all day with stories, but I haven't actually got to any useful strategies. Sorry. So in that meltdown state, instead of trying to distract, trying to talk it through, so realizing that reason completely out the window, we don't need to talk about behaviors, not going to work, wasting your breath, you're just adding to their sensory load, overload. So really 
slowing down your voice if you need to you know get them out of a situation or move them to a safe place so you remaining calm letting them where possible join your calm instead of you joining their chaos and their crazy so talking through what you are doing recognizing how they're feeling i can see you're out of control now um, let's move to this space to try and calm down yeah don't tell someone that's having a meltdown that they need to calm down not ideal um, and you can imagine how you would feel as well if you're upset angry and someone tells you to calm down yeah but we want them to or help them and give them tools and strategies for them to be able to do this for themselves later to come back to that state of calm. So we can do this through weighted blankets, so that proprioception. So for my girl, um, she's big enough and I'm small enough that I can actually sit on her on the couch. That's an easy way for me to add weight to her. Now, some days you're likely to get hit across the head. So you read the situation, yeah? Um, that will depend what state she's in. That will depend on your kid, how they respond. Weighted blankets, weighted toys, uh, noise cancelling headphones. So don't don't waltz up behind a kid and whack a pair of headphones on them while they're having a meltdown. So have that um, have that communication. Talk to them. Let them know what you're doing, but without expecting them to communicate back to you. So there's no point asking questions at this point. You can. Um, and I look, I would as far as do you want me to get the headphones um, if that's a strategy that you know works for them. If you don't know if it works, I would still talk through that. I would offer very slowly. Sorry, my hands look huge when I do that um, for the video. I would offer it slowly as I put it over their ears to give them a good chance to let you know whether they want it or not. Uh, moving to a dark tent or um, kids will often go under a table when they're not coping so just that dark closed space dimming the lights offering sunnies if that's what works or might work for your kid um look it's trial and error yeah and this can be for your kid as a parent when you're learning what works and what doesn't work and sometimes what worked yesterday or every day up until today may not work from tomorrow onwards does that make sense so this does change preferences do change but there are things so looking at your senses so your sight your touch the noise around you taste doesn't really work for sensory um chew toys do so having those silicon chew toys when my kids were stressed they're like goats they ate through the bottoms so my girl ate through the bottoms of her dress and my boy would eat through the collars of his school uniform. So we got them the silicon chew, that sounds awful, it sounds like a dog toy, but they are, they're chew toys. So they had them around their neck or you can get the silicon beads so they look a bit more socially acceptable and they would chew them when they were stressed. So that was a tool that we used. So all of these tools can be used and may help bring back someone um, to a calm state after a meltdown, but they're also strategies that you can use to prevent a meltdown when you can see someone escalating, yeah? So escalating just quickly, and then I'll wrap this up, can look like flapping. It can look like hands over the ears. It can look like uh, closed fists, so very rigid. Um, so although they're not making noise yet, if you learn to look out for these cues, and yes, they will look different for each kid, you can kind of see when they're beginning to escalate or shut down. 
All right, I'm gonna leave it there. We cover this um, in a lot more detail in our emotional regulation and sensory profile training and resources. And you get, I'll show you this. So we cover the different emotions um, and we cover it as a spectrum from excited at one end to angry at the other end where both ends are out of control and our karma emotions in the middle. Anyway, I will stop there. Have a look at that pack that's on the website and I will talk to you soon about silent meltdowns. Have a good day.